Let me ask you something. What if there was someone out there who kept a log of every single thing you did every minute of the day? That would probably creep you out. Well, that's exactly what happens every time you go online. Your internet provider stores logs of every website you've ever visited and can legally sell this data to anyone. Worse yet, the government can obtain your data via bulk FISA order, even if you're not personally suspected of any crime. That's why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your internet provider can't see or log what you do online. Visit expressvpn.com slash mullen right now and find out how you can get three months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash mullen. Protect your data and get three months for free today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen talks freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, coming to you from sunny western New York. Sunny, but with some snow on the ground, finally. We haven't had much this year. A few uh, notable uh, exceptions that, of course, always makes the national news, but for the most part, uh, we've had a very mild winter, one which I predicted the day I wrote the first check for my snow plowing contract. I haven't had a snow plowing contract since I moved back here from Florida in 2014. So, of course, 10 years in, I finally give in and, um, and buy one and we don't get any snow, which is fine with me. I, it's worth the money I paid to uh, have this kind of a winter if we could do it every year, although I doubt that. Um, and uh, a couple of announcements. I've got some more interviews coming up. Today, it'll just be you and me. And uh, today I'm going to talk about, uh, I have to say a few words about the uh, Tucker Carlson, Vladimir Putin interview. Um, And to me, not much of what I heard was a surprise except for the beginning. I, I really didn't see that coming. And I'd like to talk a little bit about the beginning. Now, I haven't read uh, Eastern European history uh, to the extent that uh, Mr. Putin has, and I can't confirm or deny the veracity of any of the historical uh, information he shared. I just thought it was very, very goofy that he opened that interview that way. Um, Tucker Carlson began the interview saying, uh, I think the first question was, and it was kind of a leading question, which I was disappointed in, Um, I I would have liked to have heard, why did you invade Ukraine in February of 2022, period? Why? Now, to some extent, Putin could have come back and said, well, I made a lengthy speech where I laid out the reasons. So perhaps that's one of the reasons he didn't just ask it more open-ended. But he asked him if he felt physically threatened or words to that effect. And when he says, did you feel physically threatened, did Russia feel Did you feel Russia was physically threatened by what was happening in Ukraine, you know, just prior to his invasion? And I got to say, Putin answered the question like an autistic libertarian. (laughs) They always accuse. Imagine asking that question to somebody and, and their first words are, 
Well, in 862 AD, <laughs> so it really was kind of bizarre to me, and I didn't think it was effective. I was surprised that if he wanted to go into that subject, knowing it was going to be a long-form interview, that he didn't save that information and just get to the point, which he does get to the point later. And I'm, I'm worried that uh, you know a lot of people might have tuned out I mean, it was 30 minutes before, to me, he said anything relevant. Now, my take on the first 30 minutes of the interview was that Putin wanted to um, make the argument that Ukraine is a fake country. It's not really a nation the way France is a nation, the way Russia is a nation, the way Poland is a nation. It didn't grow organically out of people with all of the... Um, similarities and things in common that nations are usually made of a common language, religion, uh, customs, legal traditions, whatever. And uh, I mean, to a certain extent, that's true. Uh, Those of us who are children of the 20th century remember when Ukraine was just called the Ukraine. It was a region. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't a country during that time, but for most of history, Ukraine was the, the Ukraine, the Ukraine. Uh, it was a region and um, uh, ostensibly part of Russia, either uh, officially or unofficially for most of, of history. And then he goes into how, you know, Poland had part of it. And then and then it was part of Russia for a period of time during the Russian Empire and et cetera, et cetera. And it was a Soviet Republic for a while uh, during the Soviet era era. And. Um, so fine. Let's just give him, and I'm not saying that his argument uh, can't be um, refuted, but let's just give him that for the moment. I don't think it's an effective thing to say uh, it's not a real nation like like other nations when somebody asks you why you invaded. Well, Iraq's not a real nation. That was just made up by European powers after uh, World War I. They drew lines on a map around people who don't want to live together. Three different uh, sets of people, uh, a, a Sunni minority, a Shiite uh, majority, and then, of course, you've got the, the Kurds, the, the beloved Kurds, of the, the beloved by the empire when they need them until it's time to, to screw them over again, which they've done several times. But they always bring up the the uh, heroic Kurds, and, and you know some of them are heroic, but... Um, uh, th- these are the three different people, at least, who, that I know of that live in Iraq and, again, who do not want to live together, who do not want to have the same government ruling over them. Um, and, of course, the Sunnis were in charge for a long time in Iraq because the United States installed Saddam Hussein as dictator there. He, he was a CIA asset who actually went to jail first for trying to assassinate a previous dictator and eventually was supported by the usual suspects of the empire in rising to power and maintaining power as a Sunni over the Shiite majority in Iraq. And, of course, the empire used to say that it wanted uh, that that Sunni power there to uh, check Iran, which is a Shiite power, um, and Syria, and of course the the empire funded a long destructive war between Iraq 
and Iran and funded both sides of that. The empire is just evil through and through. Um, but I digress. So, But nobody's invading Iraq because it isn't a real country, okay? The United States invaded it because they had to make up a reason. Weapons of mass destruction, which we all know was bullshit. But, um, but you know, other countries are not invading Iraq just because it's a fake country. Or, in, in, of course, the Kurds want to break away uh, and, and have a separate country. Um, but in any case, I, I just didn't find the whole first 30 minutes to be very effective. And for someone who's supposed to be this expert propagandist, um, it just seemed like a very, very poor move. It seemed evasive. It seemed uh, rambling. <laughs> I mean, okay, what's the? We got a war going on. I came to interview you about this, and where are we now? What's it's sixteen hundred? What? <laughs> I didn't find it effective at all, and it's very surprising because this was. Putin's chance to make his case to the entire world that what he did was justified. And for 30 minutes, he was mumbling, stumbling. Now, I shouldn't say he was mumbling, stumbling. His talk, and I don't, again, I don't know how much of it is accurate, how much of it is spun, how much of it is just complete not true. But uh, giving him the benefit of the doubt, it was very, very impressive if I went to a classroom and listened to him give that talk, I, I would have been very impressed and very interested. It was interesting. And someday when I want to learn more about uh, Eastern European history, I'll go back and listen to it again. But I wasn't really that interested in what he had to say uh, in the context of that interview. So if you haven't listened to it yet, uh, you can skip to about the 30-minute mark if you like. I mean, you're welcome to go listen to the first part, but I don't think it it sheds any light, even the light of his own perspective, on what's going on in Ukraine today or what has gone on in Ukraine, let's say, in this century. Okay? So that's that. I have to say that. And again, um, Putin is supposed to be this master propagandist. Let me just tell you, and the Russians in general are supposed to be so great at propaganda. Um, I haven't listened in a while, but I listened to quite a few of the uh, Russians with Attitude podcasts. Now, these are Russian guys speaking English to an American audience and trying to tell the Russian perspective. And uh, one of the things that... <laughs> They, their take on the war is Putin is, is, is tiptoeing too much. He's not fighting it like a war. He's still trying to play nice with everybody, and it should be over by now. They should have won by now. That's where they come from. Again, I'm not saying I agree with that or whatever. But um, And one of the things that they always say kind of nonchalantly is how bad Russia is at propaganda, how much better the West is, and how they – it's they they almost they make fun of uh, Russian propaganda because it is so bad. So you know, take that for what it's worth. Those are two guys, and maybe they have an agenda, and maybe we shouldn't believe anything they say. But um, they uh, they don't consider Russian propaganda very good. I think Russian intelligence is uh, very good, and if you believe Tim Weiner's book Legacy of Ashes, it's far better than the United States, as is China's. 
Uh, and I'll link to that book as uh, something that you might be interested in. And and basically, Weiner's, uh, I hope I'm not mispronouncing his name. If I am, then somebody can correct me in the comments. But I've I've only ever seen it written. I've never I've heard, never heard it pronounced, but it's W-E-I-N-E-R. And I'll link to Legacy of Ashes in the uh, in the show notes. But he basically has said that the U.S. has never had uh, competent intelligence, that the CIA is completely incompetent, that they've been taken to the cleaners by the Russians and the Chinese since you know the, the birth of the CIA just after World War II. Um, so uh, you know that's another perspective and he, he provides a lot of evidence for that. Um, but what the CIA is good at is overthrowing governments and he also mentions that. And um, you know they may be good at it, uh, but it doesn't mean that doing so is a good idea for the United States uh, or anybody else or our so-called allies. Um, so um, in any case, I thought Putin's first 30 minutes were a complete, a complete miscalculation. He wanted to set up that a lot of Ukraine should be Russian territory or they have historic claims to some of that land. He leaves out all kinds of, you know, he talks about the patriotic war. And, of course, he's calling, you know, that's what they call World War II in, in Russia, the Great Patriotic War. Um, I don't even call it the Great Patriotic War for the United States be, because we handed the, one of the most evil empires in history half of Europe to dominate for 46 years. I don't call that a win. I know that's a uh, unpopular view, but I stand by it. Uh, he leaves out the 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 whole. <laughs> he talks about Stalin and 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 forgets that Stalin killed three million uh, Ukrainians on purpose, the the so-called kulaks, um, and um, and then he also leaves out the fact that there's so many Russian-speaking people in Ukraine because at one time the Soviets under Stalin were purposefully flooding Ukraine with Russian people. Um, to displace uh, the native Ukrainians. Uh, and, you know, again, I don't want to give the impression there's this, this distinction uh, that's, that's night and day between Ukrainian and Russian, because I don't think there is, but there is a distinction. And um, for people who don't know, you know, uh, what do they call it? Kiev. I'm going to call it Kiev because that's what I've said all my life. And I, I, I'm pretty sure that's what, um, the translator uh, of Putin called it was Kiev, so I'm I'm not sure if the this Kiev thing is is the Ukrainian pronunciation and Kiev is Russian, or if neither one of them really pronounces it that way in their own languages. Um, and, and by the way, uh, their own languages. Zelensky, uh, the the hero of U uh, U.S. national media, is actually a Russian speaker. Um, that's his first language. Um, but I again, I digress. I would not have been persuaded if if Putin ended his his argument uh, anywhere right after the first thirty minutes just by saying like, "Look, this this should be part of Russia." Of course, that would have not persuaded me uh, unless we said, "Well, okay, then uh, you know, there's a lot of kind. Are we going to give uh, Rome back to the Etruscans?" I, I don't know. So. Um, 
But from 30 minutes in and on, and when he gets to 1991, I think those are the same points. I think right around 30 minutes, he gets to really where the the relevant history to me for this conflict starts, and that's with the fall of the Soviet Union. And when the the Soviet Union broke apart, um, there was an opportunity for peace. And and in my own life, I I was uh, just turned 26 because I think the Soviet Union uh, fell apart late in the year, officially. It dissolved. I want to say it was December. I haven't looked this up, but I, I had just turned 26. So, I mean, I had lived all my life during the Cold War at that point and thought, and that whole three or four year period between the, the fall of the Berlin Wall was just astounding to me and I think anyone who was around my age back then would tell you the same thing like it's it just and you didn't even people older than me I you know obviously people younger the younger you get below your mid-20s you're you're not really as politically aware but to me I mean this was this humongous change it was a very optimistic moment I, I remember watching the Berlin fall, uh, Wall fall live on television, and just my mouth was open. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then a couple years later, there's no more Soviet Union. And I thought, and what we were being promised back then, by the way, was this so-called peace dividend, um, which meant that... Um, there was going to be a huge reduction in military spending. I mean, maybe not the first day, but soon after this, we were no longer going to have to be fortress Europe. Uh, you know, back during the um, uh, early in the post-war period, um, the people who became the, the neoconservatives and, and, and people like Bill Buckley had said, not only do we have to spend all kinds of money on um on on the military because of the threat of the Soviet uh, Union but that we have to somewhat turn our own country into a national security state and surrender some liberty because uh we have to these there's russian spies everywhere of course this was true by the way <laughs> not that we had to surrender liberty but there were russian spies everywhere there, there was even one in the Roosevelt administration, rather high up, by the way. Of course, uh, Roosevelt uh, had a soft spot for the commies, although he had an even softer spot for Mussolini, as I've uh, gone over in previous podcasts and articles. But uh, there was this notion that, okay, we, we have to defeat the Soviet Union in the Cold War. Well, once that happened, we were supposed to get a peace dividend and a return to the free republic that uh, we had been prior to the world wars. And of course that never happened. And the very first political thoughts that I had as a young man who didn't care about any of this before this, this moment was that we're, look, we have this opportunity. We should be throwing our arms around Russia uh, now that they have turned their back on communism and we found out that they never really were a threat uh, other than nuclear at any time, really, and certainly not in the last decades of the Cold War, and certainly not in the 80s 
the myth grew up that uh, Reagan's military spending is what bankrupted them. But when you look at Soviet military spending uh, from throughout the 1970s and 80s, it doesn't change uh, dramatically because of anything Reagan did. It doesn't tra- change dramatically at all. So, of course, that story is bullshit, and everybody believes it. Um, just another myth. <laughs> and and I was, I was uh, uh, saying the other day how discouraged I am, how, how many people just believe things that are demonstrably untrue. Some people think that the government got smaller under Ronald Reagan, when in fact uh, it, it almost doubled in size. It's, uh, anyway, so, um, so I'm, I, when I was in my 20s, in the, in the 1990s um, and early 30s, I, my first political thoughts were we are blowing this. I was still thinking back then that you know the empire would want to do the right thing. And I thought Bush Sr. and especially Clinton was blowing an opportunity to really establish, uh, to kind of welcome Russia into the Western world and forever, you know, uh, eliminate that they would be a threat and, you know, just bring all the fruits of what they could bring to the relationship to the rest of the world. And as we know, they're they're a very productive country uh, energy-wise. Now that they're not communist anymore, um, they they have a, a rather strong economy. So um, immediately after the Soviet Union fell, uh, the empire like started to put its boot on on their neck and try to keep them down. One of the reasons that I, I've always thought that Putin is so popular, and, and, and maybe even perhaps I, I hear he was uh, picked by uh, Yeltsin personally, was that um, he would stand up to the empire that the Russian people feel that they're being taken advantage of, that they were that, that you know they let in all these corrupt uh, you know government supported corporations into Russia to kind of loot the place, and. Um, and that they weren't given the respect that they they deserved. Now, again, you know, when you're in a 50-year war with somebody, even if it's a cold war, it's not going to be, you know, smoochy huggy right <laughs> the, the year uh, one year later. But there was no reason why the United States had to to what they what they did do and what they said, if you go back and I I've, I've written about this and uh even when Trump was running I think it was when he was running. I, I did some links back to the 1990s neoconservatives who were pressuring Clinton at the time to do all sorts of things. And basically what they said is, we have 20 years to do whatever we want. And they were they were pressuring him to invade Iraq at the time. But um, they basically said, we can do whatever we want without being challenged by another superpower for the next 20 years. Well, here it is 30 years later, just about, and um, you know the, the empire is still, to some extent, doing what it wants, but you can see that its power and its influence is starting to wane. But uh, this is what empires do, and uh, no, no firm friendship was, um, was established. In fact, they started expanding NATO from 
the original few countries that were in it that was a thousand miles or whatever from Russia's border uh, up right up to Russia's border. And I was writing about this long before Trump or uh, or any, you know, or, or before the, the complete demonization of Putin. So uh, in any case, Putin's uh, explanation from the 30 minute mark on um, pretty much coincides with what I was saying before Putin was even around that that not saying just because I said it it's right but it's it's awfully uh, coincidental that he would be saying what I would say uh, what I was saying even as a young man observing the empire and its um, and its response to the collapse of the Soviet Union and of course, uh, the they they <laughs> moved NATO closer and closer to Russia's border, and then they they have attempted to put NATO on Russia's border. Um, it's not just Ukraine. If you'll remember, there was a whole bunch of trouble in Georgia back in the mid two thousands. And I can't remember where the Olympics were. I think they were actually in Beijing, maybe 2008 uh, or so. And George Bush was appear. Uh, uh, you know, he was he was interviewed there at the Olympics, and he um, and uh, he was saying, "Oh, I told I I have a good relationship with uh, with uh, Mr. Putin, and I told him his response was totally disproportionate to this trouble in Georgia." Well, guess what? Um, that trouble was caused by the United States um, uh, intelligence community, the State Department and the CIA and the rest of the, uh, the criminal gang that runs our foreign policy. Uh, they started that. That was a color revolution. And I'm pretty sure that's what um, Putin refers to during the interview when he says that, uh, oh, I'm sorry, no, uh, Putin was talking about uh, another color revolution that the United States started uh, with the Chechens. And I'm going on memory here, so there's there's so many around the, the world. Hey, whenever you see people protesting in the streets, the usual drill, and there's, you know, calling for the over, that's, that's the United States. There's almost... No revolutions that occur that they're not a part of, especially in these countries. Even the one in Hong Kong a few years back, uh, that was them. And if you if you know if you don't believe, there was a Chinese guy on the streets in perfect English reciting Patrick Henry's "Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death" speech. I mean, it's so cornball. It, it's almost like they're 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 telling you, look, we're not even going to try to hide this. But uh, in any case, um, Putin talked about that. He talked about, you know, what happened from 1991 uh, through uh, 2014. And uh, during that time, uh, they also overthrew the government of Ukraine, either in 2004 or 2008. So I think it was 2004. And then the Georgia government. uh, color revolution was in 2008. So we're talking about the countries. Georgia, by the way, is where Stalin came from. He was he didn't come from the interior of Russia. He was a Georgian. Um, so uh, 
in any case, the empire is trying to overthrow the governments closest to their border. And in 2014, they succeeded. And Putin's argument is that's when the war started. When you overthrew the elected government of Yanukovych in 2014, uh, that's that was the start of the war. And, um, of course, we all know that then the eastern Ukrainian provinces broke away and... and um, I should let me say this, and and this is this is also a fact that that Putin didn't bring up, but I brought up at the time and uh, wrote about since then, is that one of the first things that the um, new government uh, tried to do was take away Russia's port at Sevastopol uh, in Ukraine in the uh, on the Crimean Peninsula. Now, that has been the site of their Black Sea fleet forever. And the so-called Anglo-Saxons, as they like to call the Americans and the British collectively, and not without good reason, have been trying to take that away from from Russia for for hundreds of years. There was a war called the Crimean War in the mid-19th century where the British cooked up some idiotic religious reason to go invade Crimea. Um and uh, and try to take that away, and uh, I I I know that there's an article. I think it was a couple years after 2014. I'll I'll try to find that and link on the show notes page, where I was pointing out that you know the, the Russia only has two reliably reliably ice free uh, ports on this side of the world. One of them is at Sevastopol in the Black Sea on the Crimean Peninsula, and the other one is in uh, Syria. <laughs> so uh, what a coincidence. That's where the two uh, main humanitarian wars of the last uh, two uh, last uh, decade or so by the empire have been. We just have to go into Syria, and we have to go uh, into Ukraine. And the Russians are never going to give that up. They weren't going to give it up then, and that's when... Um, uh, Putin annexed Crimea. Now, remember that he didn't annex it, like he didn't conquer it. Uh, they took a vote and, you know, people dispute the vote or, or uh, the plebiscite or whatever you want to call it. And uh, they wanted to go back to Russia uh, where they had been for much of their history. Um, of course, when, when a vote doesn't go the empire's way, they just say it was illegitimate. And they do this all the time. Um, of course, we've got problems with our own elections, too. So it's it's not like um, we're, we're in a position to criticize anybody. But whatever. They weren't giving up that port, whether that was legit or not. Um, and uh, they weren't giving up the one in Syria either. And they didn't. So one of the reasons, one of the things I, I've said in in terms of trying to see this from Russia's perspective and by no means are these like just innocent uh, babes here, but uh, as far as the Russian government goes. But look at a map. Just look at a map. Look at where all the troops are. Look at where their ports are. There are only two. They've got another one over on the other side of the world in the Sea of Japan. And other than that, they've got ports that freeze for part of the winter. Um, so are, are not always reliable. 
So they're never and, and they and the West has been trying to take the ones they have away for hundreds of years. And of course, when you're Russian, that's what you see. Um, so getting back to the interview, he goes through the uh, the expansion of NATO uh, eastward uh, over the promises of um, of the West. And, you know, it, it, it's so transparent. The empire says, we never said that. Then then people come up with documentation. They did say it. Well, we didn't put it in in writing. And then, you know, people come up with documentation that, yes, it was in writing quite a bit in writing the promise not to expand NATO one inch uh, eastward. And then uh, now it's what wasn't a formal treaty. Okay, so Russia hasn't changed its story. The empire has, the West has, over and over about this issue. So um, so I, I thought he made good points there. Um, and uh, And from his perspective... The war did not start when they invaded in 2022. The war started when um, basically the CIA overthrew the uh, Ukrainian government. Um, And it's funny because, you know, Putin was KGB and he seems to exhibit an almost grudging respect for the CIA. He's like, I know they're a serious organization. And he says that more than once. And he's got a little grin on his face. Almost like he's like, yeah, yeah, you got us there. You know, you you did a good job there. And again, they're good. Yeah, they they're good at overthrowing governments, but that doesn't mean that 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 our interests are served by them doing that. And I would argue that they've never been served by them doing that, and they certainly were not served by them doing that in Ukraine in 2014, nor by continually arming Ukraine thereafter marching troops, doing uh, uh, military exercises in Ukraine. Can you imagine if Russia was doing military exercises in in Mexico and in, in Tijuana? Wouldn't last for a day. Would not go unresponded to for a single day. And we all know that. And it doesn't, in this argument, well, Mexico is a sovereign country. They can make an alliance with anyone. Yeah, right. Let Mexico make an alliance with China and China put a base in Tijuana and see how long that base is there. Let's be real, folks. So so all of that was, I thought, persuasive from Putin. Now, can you you argue against it? Sure. But uh, again, it comes back for me, look at a map. If they were over here in Cuba, uh, well, we know that uh, they were in Cuba uh, briefly in, in 1962, and uh, we didn't say, well, Cuba's a, you know, Cuba's a, a sovereign country. They can make an alliance with anyone they want. They, uh, you know, we said, we're nuking Moscow if you don't get those missiles out. And then you know, we went in behind closed doors, and we said, yeah, um, I know. We got ours in Turkey. We'll take those out, too. And, uh, of course, that's how that was resolved. So, so overall, I thought that uh, Putin did a, a decent job from the 30-minute mark on. I thought Tucker Carlson, I don't know, you know, Monday morning quarterback. It's uh, some of his questions where you have to remember Tucker's not a libertarian or a classical liberal. Well, he's kind of a, a classical conservative. He's a mercantilist 
you know, I don't agree with any of his academic ideas. He kind of believes in um, in the imperial state. He just thinks it should be run better, a little like Trump. Um, so there's a lot of things that I would disagree with Tucker on. I'd rather live in a world run the way Tucker Carlson thinks it should be run or in America run that way than the one we have. Um, uh, but I'd rather, uh, of course, than either of those live in the one that I, I want to have. So, you know, the free country, um, uh, with the laissez faire, uh, free market that, uh, is what built Western civilization before we started, uh, plunging swords into it for the last hundred years. Um, that's, that's the country I'd like to live in. But, uh, so I think Tucker was good in that, um, while what during the time that Putin uh, was giving his 30 minute history lesson and at the end of it, at least twice, I remember Tucker saying, well, why didn't you invade Ukraine 22 years ago? If this is your argument that it should be part of Russia, then why didn't you invade 20? I thought that was good. He was challenging Putin. He wasn't being, a, a, you know, throwing him softballs. That was a, a, a adversarial question. And it was a good one. And I don't think Putin had a great answer. I think basically Putin should have just skipped the whole history thing and gotten to the parts that I think where he has legitimate grievances. And uh, what else did um, uh, Tucker did uh, challenge him on this, this supposed Wall Street uh, journal journalist who is imprisoned there and... Um, uh, you know, are you going to let him go? And, and basically Tucker's argument was, look at, this is not some super spy. Just let him go. That would be a sign of goodwill. Well, uh, you know, I think the guy was probably a spy. Putin says they caught him red handed spying, uh, you know, passing, uh, classified information. Uh, maybe Putin's overblowing it. I, I think the guy was probably up to no good. It's from the Russians perspective. And let me just tell you, this whole uh, narrative that uh, Putin imprisons journalists, they're all spies. <laughs> the ones that, that, that's what they're imprisoned for, and that's usually what they're doing. That's, the, that's when the empire's uh, assets, so to speak, get caught. Uh, you know, And again, I'm not trying to whitewash Putin. The guy runs a country with a very authoritarian history. I'm sure he's a bad guy or at least he's done some some things that we would consider pretty bad. Uh, and he was a KGB agent. I don't know how many people he disappeared, if any. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know why I should give all these disclaimers, but I, you know, want to be clear about, you know, what I'm trying to argue here. My argument is that even if Putin was not the president of Russia, that Russia has some legitimate grievances with the empire. And the empire has kind of run amok since the Soviet Union fell. That was a great thing that the Soviet Soviet Union fell, but it it was a check on our empire here. And since then, they're they're just stumbling around the world, just out of control. And um, and uh, as you know, my my stance is the empire needs to be ended, and if not replaced with an anarcho capitalist uh, utopia. Than at least the old republic. I'll settle for that. 
And I guess the last thing that has happened since the interview um, with Carlson is that uh, Alexei Navalny has uh, died in a Russian prison. And, um, of course, you know, he's held up as this this great dissident, this anti-Putin freedom fighter in Russia. And you all know what the truth behind this story turns out to be. He was also an asset of the American intelligence community and British. And if you doubt that at all, I'll link to this on the show notes page. Daniel McAdams this morning uh, shared a video, a leaked video of him meeting with a British MI6 agent and asking for 10 to $20 million so that he could start a color revolution in Russia. He doesn't say the words color, color revolution. He just actually spells out what is included in that, including propaganda, protest, mass protests, the whole usual drill that we see when the empire overthrows somebody's government. And whether it's the Arab Spring or what they tried to do in um, two uh, border countries of Russia right after or right before, I think, the uh, invasion uh, of Ukraine uh, and what they do all over the world. They were doing it in Venezuela when Trump was president. Um just uh, the usual thing. So, um, yeah, Navalny, I'm, I'm sorry that he died for his family. And um, I don't want to mean to walk on his grave or anything, but please do not be caught up in the narrative that this was, you know, the, the big bad uh, Russian dictator offing one of his, um, one of his rivals. Uh, this guy was a spy and he was in prison for spying. Um, or, or breaking other laws uh, in Russia. And, uh, you know, I, I, I know that this interview has put the entire imperial media on tilt. And, of course, this is a great, um, at, at best, Navalny dying is very timely and very convenient for the empire. I'd hate to think that they actually... Uh, killed one of their own there, but I don't rule it out because I don't believe anything they say. So uh, with that, I guess I'll just wrap it up. I just wanted to share some thoughts and I'm going off the cuff here. If I missed anything, I apologize. Leave me a comment. I can come back to it. But otherwise, I will see you next time here on uh, Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. And I anticipate uh, the next couple of episodes will be interviews with very interesting people. Uh, that you'll want to uh, join me for. All right, friends, that's going to do it for today. Just a few reminders to stop by TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support and check out all the ways that you can support my efforts here, including joining my Patreon or my Substack. And if you haven't already, make sure that you go to ItsTheFedStupid.com to download a copy of my free ebook. It's the Fed Stupid. And as always, if you like the music you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.